Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had, and I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design Still my favorite is the built structure and interiors. In years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast, and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is Russ Stevens. Now, Russ and his daughter Sky head up an association of professional builders. They're a coaching, business coaching for builders, very specific for residential builders organization that stretches from North America through to Australia and New Zealand. Russ resides on the Gold Coast of Australia in Queensland. And I'm going to talk to him today about the value that being a coached builder brings, especially to the client and to the architect or the designer as well, how these things work together. And I'm sure he's got some amazing stories that we can dig into as well. So Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Adrian. Really looking forward to chatting with you today. Let's kick it off with the with the original sort of question, which is, is where did you come from and why are you here and what what's going on you know what are you doing 
Well, I, I come from a, a little island, you may have heard of it, England, <laughs> and moved over to Australia in 2006 as part of a, a lifelong plan, really, from the, the moment I met my wife. I always had a passion to, to move to New Zealand. Ever since I was a kid, I, I just knew I was going to live in the Southern Hemisphere and I was going to move to New Zealand. But I met I met my wife and, and she was very clear from the start, no, it's Australia. So yeah, we had this, we had this life goal, this plan to move to Australia before our son went to secondary school because yeah, we, we watched the TV programs and that's when you get the ping pong poms. They, they don't settle when they go back because the kids don't settle. So yeah, we had this plan that before, before our son started secondary school, we were going to move to Australia and in 2006, we, we did exactly that and, uh, been loving life in Southeast Queensland ever since. Yeah, wow, that's so cool. And I'm very sad to hear that New Zealand got kicked off the list being a Kiwi myself. However, I did the same thing and moved here as well. So <laughs> You can't complain and you understand we came here for the climate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, it's an amazing country and certainly, you know, like in the zone that we live in, we get to enjoy 330 sunshine days a year which has a great impact on your life and on the way you spend your life. You don't plan around the weather like you would if you lived in New Zealand, that's for sure. You do plan around being out of the sunshine, though, an awful lot. Yeah, and, and then that's really interesting because, yeah, we can't comprehend when we, we have a, a lot of friends that are Queenslanders and, and they enjoy the cold climate. They they enjoy going on holiday to to Europe and, and, and when you talk to them, they're almost jealous that you've come from England. But I guess what they don't see is the is the gloom that can set in for, for weeks and even months on end with the, the drizzle and the low light and the cloud, which has a, a big psychological effect on you when you live there it does I, having spent a fair bit of time in the uk I, I moved actually from manchester to australia so i was in manchester prior to that and manchester's known as a region originally because of its manufacturing well i shouldn't say originally but in the industrial revolution on its manufacturing abilities with cottons and things like that and it used to because of the dampness in the air, so not just the gloom, the dampness in the air, the long staple of cotton that can be spun means that it doesn't break as often when it's got dampness in the air. So it must require a certain amount of humidity or dampness to do that. And so it became a basis for the clothing industry, which of course I worked in before this. And so it was interesting base that you know, Manchester took on a whole lot of that clothing industry part. But having lived there for several years, I know the experience of doom and gloom on endless days. I was always excited to go to work, but I did, when I, before I went, I was talking to a friend of mine who was from New Zealand, who was living there at the time in Manchester. And I was talking to him on the phone and mobile phone one morning, he was driving to work. And I said to him, so Dino, you know, how is it? And he goes, Mate, it's getting darker as I'm driving to work and I'm not on night shift. It's early morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hit that period of the year where you go to work in the dark and you come home in the dark. It's the the mushroom existence that kicks yep. in from October. <laughs> yeah, it's a very romantic thing the first time you realize you're doing it and then it runs out after about a week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so that brought you to Australia. 
Um, tell me what got you to start a business that was the Association of Professional Builders? What, like, why? Why would well, you do it, such a thing? Yeah, well, it started around about 2010, 2011, when my daughter, Sky Stevens, who's co-founder of the business, was at university. She'd started university. And at that time, the internet was going mainstream. It was turning marketing upside down. And probably even more importantly, it was turning the sales process upside down. And what I mean by that was the balance of power was changing as a direct consequence of the internet. People no longer approach salespeople to extract information and be drip fed information by salespeople either. They were now doing their research online and they were approaching salespeople with more knowledge than they'd ever had. And it was affecting the car industry massively, but also the construction industry as well. Consumers were more informed than any time in history, I would say. So we were talking about this because Sky was studying marketing at university. And we were talking about how things were changing and a lot of the old school methods that were still being being taught and, and even businesses that are operating on old school methods. And literally within a, a few weeks, Sky had left university in order for us to set up a marketing agency for residential home builders where we were testing out these new methods, building websites running Facebook campaigns and Google campaigns and generating quality leads for builders. And we did this for a few years. We were very successful. The builders that we uh, we did this for were, were, were getting a lot of quality leads. However, when we spoke to those builders, you know, about half of them were saying, this is fantastic. Yeah, the best leads that I've had. And they were pretty much happy and sorted. But the other half were saying the leads are rubbish. Yeah, these are, yeah, right. these leads are no good. Really interesting. So we dug into it and what we realized was the, the builders that were saying the leads were no good didn't have a documented sales process, a repeatable sales process that they could follow. So that was the gap. So in 2014, we launched Acris Sales Training, and that was where we mapped out the entire sales process for a residential building company and train builders on taking these quality leads through the sales process all the way to contracts. And that solved the problem for a lot of guys because now, not only are we generating these leads, but we're helping them to take those leads through to contract. But there were still conversations going on where builders were, were time poor and they were flat out and not earning the kind of money they deserve to be earning, which is why in 2015, we realized we needed a complete holistic approach to this. And we launched the Association of Professional Builders, which provided a full business coaching service to residential home builders covering construction financials, operations leadership and of course marketing and sales as well that's a big a big like learning curve you know for most people to actually be across all those pieces they're that in those pieces whether they know it or not but refining those pieces so that there is a, a clear process for it yeah and what it demonstrated i think as well is how they are all connected yeah you know, you, yeah they're not silos yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you, you, you kind of think, well, I want my business to grow. I, I need to market and generate more leads. But it's not just that, is it? It's the sales process. And it's, of course, it's the delivery and it's the financials as well. So they all play their part. One of the things that I always think is amazingly scary about building is, is that 
because you work with a volume of product. So when you when you start a process, you know, there's a volume of steel, there's a volume of concrete, there's any one of those things to get it wrong by, you know, 10% can have an, a, a massive impact on something. I, I remember doing a job where I designed a job and the builder said to me that he had blown out on the footings because of the type of soil, that the topsoil was like red clay and budrum. And he told me that he had blown out and he was like something like three quarters of the way through his budget of concrete at the point of putting the footings down. And the reason was, is the soft topsoil had meant that they had to dig wider or they had, and the thing was, it was all beamed. The, the, for those of you who don't understand what I'm talking about, the footings in the, in the ground were, there were beams under every wall. So there was a thickening point under every wall on the slab because of the soil type. And otherwise that could have been a rafted system or something else in the design process. In this case, it was beamed. And when they were digging, the fallen into the trench was actually... Um, meaning that the trench was getting wider and wider at the top, but staying the same at the bottom. And so when he poured his concrete, he had poured more than double the amount of concrete. So if he was thinking he was having two trucks, he had four trucks. And wow. yeah, and so right from the start of the job, he should have been aware of his soil type, not just blaming him here, but he, he he was aware of his soil type, but he should have been aware of the site condition. And they should have made a decision be pre-costing whether they were going to shutter everything so that they contained their concrete or whether they were going to allow for the overspill and have that in the price. So he was chasing his tail from that point forward. Yeah, and it's a difficult business construction as well because we always say you can't afford to learn from your mistakes in this business. You will run out of money before you've learned everything you need to learn. And and yep. experiences like that, they are they are painful. Yeah, they're a hard lesson, eh? A really mm. hard lesson. And yeah. you know, he got out of that job without a loss, and that was about it. That was an achievement, yeah, because yeah. this this money, this extra money, it mm. isn't coming off the revenue. It's not even coming off the gross profit. It's straight off the bottom line, which is really, really painful. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and when the bottom line disappears, and I've, I've worked with, over the years, builders who will tell me that they lost money on a job, um, and it was through something that they didn't foresee in the process, and they didn't have a process to capture it. And at the end of the job, they actually were paying for the next job, but paying for their last job out of the next job. And you yeah. must hear plenty of that in your... <laughs> yeah. Well, especially over the past couple of years in 2021, I think it was early 2022, we, we ran a survey and we found that almost every builder had experienced a loss on a project that they'd run in the previous 12 months. Now, fortunately, with our members they didn't overextend themselves during this covid boom and they worked through their loss making jobs quite quickly and were back into profit and with the painful lesson that that they just experienced they became even more profitable but those larger building companies with the big sales teams that signed up three four or even five times the amount of contracts they normally would mm -hmm. they continued losing money all the way through 2022 just eroded their their equity position 
I've heard plenty of builders say this was a profitless boom. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's left a lot of people scarred and a lot of people worn out. Like that, that was, yeah, 22% of, of builders in our state, the residential construction industry at the end of last year, 22% of builders across the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand reported that their mental health had deteriorated during the year. And it's something we experienced on the conversations as well. They were completely burnt out by the end of last year. Yeah, completely worn out from it all. Mm. I, yes, um, um, I can name builders that have experienced exactly the same thing. And I think in the design industry, you would find that there's a lot of people who have experienced the same thing over the last two years. And the rise in interest rates and expansion, you know, and what am I trying to say here? The rise in interest rates and the inflation that, you know, the US, Australia, New Zealand's facing is going to change the landscape dramatically over the next few years and so you've got a community that's been i suppose i want not beaten but but drained and they're going into now another set of change and uncertain times with that as well with the with the past times not actually having shifted you know costs are still rising and building and construction and then the costs of you know, fuel, the costs of electricity, the costs of all these things are still rising along with it. Steel's going up, concrete's going up, you know, these other things are still happening. And yeah, so they're not a, out of it yet. No, no. And, and it's a new skill to master is budgeting for inflation. It's something we haven't had to deal with. It's something a lot of business people have never had to deal with. Yeah, but it does have to be factored back into every business now the effect of inflation on the business to make sure we are covering that in in our 12-month plan mm, mm. and covering it so you, that you've got some certainty yeah that, that, absolutely and so that was a bit of a, a, a doomy start there <laughs> a bit gloomy a bit gloomy taking it from there to you know, like what we see is, is the future of like being having a coached group because I'm a great believer in coaching. I'm a great believer in the fact that community comes from that. And if you can get that community right, then all of a sudden people are surrounded by the right people to get them through whatever's coming next. And also for them to look retrospectively at what they've done and go there's there's where the growth needed to change for myself tell me a bit about that and why you call yourselves the association of professional builders yes well although we are a fundamentally business coaching company or business coaching is what we primarily offer our community of builders the reason we're called the association of professional builders is because we always envisaged offering so much more than that and and creating a community of the most professional builders in the industry and it's the reason why we're not called the association of average builders we don't appeal to every builder in the marketplace we appeal to the the builders with a growth mindset the the, the guys that want to deliver a better building experience to their clients they they want to earn more money from mm -hmm. uh, from being a builder and they tend to represent the top 20 percent 
of the industry and that's not by volume that's just in terms of professionalism and and delivery so we're certainly not for everyone but what we have been building across the us canada australia and new zealand is a community of like-minded builders with a growth mindset and and these guys interact through online such as our private members facebook group live events where we bring them together over mm -hmm. dinner to mm -hmm. to meet up and and also not just builders either but bringing together the best service providers in the industry through our preferred partner program as well so the community is expanding beyond builders to other professionals as well and these are all benefits that that help builders that are part of the association of professional builders because you are the average of the five people that you spend most time with and it just it does help to change your perceptions and also your your aspirations as well i believe i so a hundred percent agree you know like a lot of people go oh but if i do this i'll lose all my friends or something it's not that you'll lose your friends you'll attract different ones and in life if we look through life we go through chapters and as we, if we grow, we go through chapters and we don't lose anybody. We may shift our focus to the time that we spend with different people because it brings us up to a level of conversation or a level of consciousness that we benefit from. And we may have to, well, don't have to, we may choose to let go of some of the other people that hold us down and on that journey. And it's fascinating how when... I certainly see this with some of the coaching I do with MI Architects Marketing Institute. With them, I've got friends that share like the incredible stuff, you know, in our buddy groups and in the organization. They're lifelong friends that it's fascinating how they will help me with my business to just see it from a slightly different thing or share a document or help me create something that makes my business better. Yeah, and I think it's incredibly powerful learning from your peers as well, isn't it? Because mm. it breaks down that belief. It's one thing being told the theory and this is what you should be doing and this is what you could be achieving. But when you see someone else in your industry having walk the walk and yeah. and achieved what is being claimed is possible well those barriers get broken down so quickly in your mind and you you go out and you execute i think one of the beautiful things with that is and i know that you've experienced this as well is when you've got to have a, a growth mindset i'm going to say a, a growing mindset so your mindset's constantly under development Often when you sit, and I'm very mindful of you, you shouldn't judge up or down. You should just judge where you're for yourself, where you're at and what you're doing. It's not about what others are doing. When you sit in a room and you see somebody who is, you know, 20, 30 years younger than you kicking the can down the road and it's going, you know, 100 metres further than every kick you make and you ask yourself, so what are they doing differently? And they're doing, they're in the same room, learning the same thing from the same people and the only thing they're doing differently is, is how they're executing it. Yes, yeah, incredible seeing the difference, particularly with these younger builders that join the Association of Professional Builders. We have a lot of guys come to us that are just starting a building company and they say, I want to do things 
correctly right from the start or or maybe they've they've been going for a couple of years but they know there is a, a better way of doing things and these guys just execute and get results so quickly they're, they're like a sponge they don't question anything you give them the the blueprint the process they go out they do it they get results they come back what's next yeah. and they're just moving up the ladder so quickly and we get the the older guys maybe the the 35 to to 50 year bracket and these guys still get results i mean they they are successful but it's just a bit slower it's just noticeable they're they're just a little bit yeah they, they do question things well yeah maybe what if this happens and they just hold back that fraction in comparison and although they do get results there it is notice noticeably a little slower and then of course we have the over 55 bracket that unfortunately are are more battle scarred they've been through the grinder and a lot of these guys do end up with a fixed mindset they don't believe a lot of what we teach is possible they argue with it and and they won't implement and and it's unfortunate for for those guys that yeah they've got to a point where they simply can't help themselves because their their mindset is shut down and in the early days when we did presentations in australia we'd actually have a lot of builders like this yeah would openly laugh at us in the presentations when we would talk about different margins and and even instances where guys would get up and walk out so i'm not listening to this rubbish which we don't get so much anymore now they they just kind of give a knowing look to each other in the audience or 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 maybe text and oh yeah we've heard this from multiple guys that have signed up recently i text my wife and said you'll never believe what these guys are saying or yeah this i'm going to sign up because that can't be right you know that i'm going to prove you wrong you know what you're saying is is not true and yeah they obviously they yeah you can't go from making virtually no net profit to making 10 percent net overnight but very quickly within 90 days they they make a, a significant improvement and they can see how it is possible and of course most importantly they see other builders that have already achieved it within the the network and and that helps inspire them as well yes inspire them and also they get people to talk to who can tell them of their story and the way it worked and what happened with it something we hear a lot is the honesty within our community a lot of the time yeah they say you, you meet another builder and you just hear like they, they talk a load of rubbish about yeah it's all great and you kind of know it's not but the honesty within our community of what works but you know just as importantly what hasn't worked and yeah you know, the challenges they face you know they 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 find that very very powerful and supportive I certainly parallel that with, you know, with business coaching, where when you're in a room with others, that especially from your own industry, there's a lot more belief for a lot more quickly. But even if you're in the room with just other business people, being able to understand the language they speak in, because though as their professionalism grows, they speak another language and they're very careful with their words about how they choose them pick them use them because they know the value of them and I think that's one of the most amazing things that the growth happens that way I saw a I saw a wonderful little quote the other day which I thought was fabulous and I'm going to tell you what it was it was this was from Jim Rohn and it was success is to be pursued is not to be pursued it's to be attracted by the person you become like it <laughs> and I go 
there's so much truth in that. And I remember my wife, who is a business coach, but she was talking about years ago about a person and he was looking for a girlfriend, basically. And he said, well, you know, what's he got to offer? And I said, oh, Slater on it, you know, like just Slater on it. It's not about, well, he's a great person and all the rest. And he said, she said, yeah, but where's he shooting for? Because who is he, who is he not? financially not any of that who what's he shooting for what's the kind of woman he's looking for because what are they looking for and is he that is he that has he grown to be that person yeah i can remember my granddad saying to my sister yeah don't look at the person what they got now look at their potential and at that point i think my mother said yeah just like he did One to mum. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's so true. I think it's so true. Just on that, like you're in business with your daughter and I have two daughters, so I often imagine what it would be like to be in business with them. Such an honour, obviously. And I'd love you to tell that story of you and Sky and just what that's like, like as a dad and as a business owner. Oh, yeah, it's an absolute privilege it's something i could never have have dreamt of doing but to be able to work with your daughter in business and and really have that strong relationship once they're once they're grown up into adults and continue that relationship meeting every day talking strategy and building something together for the future it's it's an absolute privilege i'm you know incredibly fortunate to to be in that position but also incredibly fortunate to have such a, a smart business partner as well because you know despite her her youth, her her, yeah, her young years, the experience and the knowledge that she brings to the the business is is quite incredible. She dedicated herself over the years to reading a lot of business books, to learning a, a lot about business, and it's not all theory either. She runs the operations, so yeah, we're fortunate in that we have five coaches that work for us and and a head coach that heads the team up, but. The head coach reports to Sky, as do the the marketing team and the sales team as well. So she's very hands-on with her experience and she talks from personal experience and knowledge when she works with builders and talks to builders. So yeah, it's yeah, it's not a position that she was born into or or fell into. She's she's worked for everything she's achieved and yeah, I feel incredibly incredibly fortunate yeah to be working with her it sounds it sounds fabulous and in a very male dominated industry yeah we say i say male dominated industry it is and it isn't the number of wives that maybe are sitting doing the books and doing a part of that business it is often couple dominated industry and there'll be a, a wife or a significant partner doing another part of the business yeah Um, in this industry there are a significant number of partnerships i think because the invariably like you say the the uh, the husband is the builder mm -hmm. and the the wife does the books and the marketing and because of that the the husband's always seen 
as the the leader the owner but that's that's simply not the case it's it's a partnership and we do have some fantastic female owners of oh. building companies where the husbands aren't involved and uh, yeah females make great great owners <laughs> of building companies they uh, yeah because they, they they tend to oversee it a bit more i guess they they have the building expertise but they also have the admin knowledge as well which you don't always get with a with a male builder so uh, tell me yeah. about tell me about that like i mean i'm sure it's not a 50 50 split in the business that you've got women owners versus men owners or pr predominantly tell me about working with say women versus men and does does is there a bias where they would rather work with Sky than you or you than them? Or, you know, like, is there anything that sort of comes up that you regularly see? Well, we don't actually, Sky and myself don't actually coach. We we manage the, the company. So all of the, the builders that we coach will work with one of our, one of the executive coaches on our, on our team. But I must admit, I, I, I don't even differentiate uh you know whether yeah if i find myself speaking to a female owner of a building company or a male owner because we're talking business really we're talking strategy we're talking yeah, we're right. talking tactics and it kind of doesn't even occur to me and that's not necessarily a good thing because maybe i don't always appreciate the the challenges that they face but what i have seen firsthand with sky is early on coming into business coaching for builders at such a, a very young age if you can imagine this young girl being on facebook on video giving business advice the amount of abuse that she copped online was 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 crazy but we see a lot less of it now obviously there is some but we see a lot less of it because she's built such a strong reputation within the within the community and you know often now builders will seek out sky for their you know, for advice on on different things and it's not just marketing which you know which she started out on you know it's across the board because she has a, a lot of expertise on a, on a lot of different topics that relate to a residential building company mm, that's wonderful wonderful i think that's so cool i i must say i work with a couple of builders who well i say i work with one builder who has a, a female chippy on on the site and i work with several electricians that have female electricians and it makes for a better workspace woman's ability to multitask you know they that their brain operates separately from men's brains you know and their ability to multitask and i don't mean like hammering here and drilling something here i mean they they can segment things better into different categories and be aware of them rather than just singly focused and driving forward on something i often find that when i'm talking to them on site i can say so i'm seeing that this might occur with this and this and this and this might happen and they'll be like yeah and there'll be this and this and so we've covered that by doing this and this so they're Not still working kidding. sequentially, but they can see the bigger picture yeah. in their minds and then organize that in a linear fashion. Yeah. Yep. And when they when they 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 have a, a nature of somewhat calming a building site, the behavior is slightly this a lot. better. 
Yeah, yeah, I hear this a lot that sites where females are working on site leads to a better working environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a common thing. Mm -hmm. I encourage a woman to, if they, if it's what they want to do, to jump into that trade. And it won't be easy depending on where they start. But if they start in the right spot, I think it's actually a fantastic journey for them to be, especially to be a principal, you know, to be an owner. There's a lot of empathy that doesn't necessarily, men may have it, but they don't necessarily show it as much. It's, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy having them mm -hmm. on site. I enjoy the fact that it just shifts the dynamic with the men as well. And if it doesn't, then there's something wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's a, a really interesting outcome. <laughs> Tell me about maybe something along the lines of, you know, a success story with a builder that you've worked with and how it's improved their relationship with, say, designers. Like, because we both have a, a common belief that this is a teamwork. And so we'll come off that platform. Um, mm. Give me some sort of like, well, a case study, yeah. whatever, but that kind of thing around how, how that works best. Well, I think this forms part of our fundamental training for builders when they come on board, because a lot of builders at this point are operating a building company. And what we do is get them to transition to a design and construct company, which then involves working closely with designers and architects, but being involved in that whole design process, because when they're involved in the design process, they can get involved in managing the budget and keeping the design on track in the budget because designers and architects as talented as they are they won't always see things that a builder will see structurally on a on a design and and they'll see things things that can even be changed you know slight changes in a design which won't affect it aesthetically but can save tens of thousands of dollars you know in construction costs and being able to spot those early and help keep this design on track that is really key to a successful process and getting more designs actually built rather than getting to the you know the point where the client's happy but then they can't afford to to build that design that they want and this this all forms part of the sales process for builders that we teach as well so that is where we we see the the biggest success with the builders that that come on board it's educating them not just on that sales process but really on on how their business needs to be set up you know it's not a building company this is a design and construct company that's a really fascinating point and i can hear the breath of many architects sucking in going i don't need a builder to tell me how how to design a house <laughs> And then on the other side of it, I can hear the breath of the ones that love to work in and make it a team sigh outwards, outwardly and going, yeah, let, just line those people up for me, please. <laughs> and I make the point that in a, as a designer, people come to us because they want a house. Now, we give them some drawings. And, and we take them through a process to give them drawings of their dream. So we're trying to take a, a dream and outcome that they're looking for, which is totally ethereal. It's just, it may exist in some different pictures and stuff of inspiration, 
But at the end of the day, they're going to have a unique site with unique conditions with certain county or city ordinances over it. There's going to be certain building regulations that are going to come into it. And as a designer, we're going, and then any architect is going to take this and use those first of all. They're going to have those boundaries and then they're going to have the boundaries of their budget and then what the people are asking for. The idea is, is that we're not, I, I see the idea is, is that we're not there to sell drawings. We're there to sell them the house that's finished at the end. So that's that's our goal is, is, is it a built structure that they open the door to and dance across the threshold. And having the knowledge of a builder, especially one who has process and has systems and can work in as a team, gives us the freedom to actually be creative with the surety or and the, the, the more surety and understanding the costs that are involved in it. And when you can get that magic to happen, all of a sudden I think what happens there is, is that you can move forward quickly and decisively for your client and the clients in this conversation as well so they are they're aware of what the decisions they make and how that changes or they the, their requests and how when the designer changes something what changes for the builder and then what changes for their budget and we get to the other end of that yeah, and, and that's the critical part, isn't it? Because the the client comes in with a set budget and then we get the scope creep. You know, this, yeah. Yeah, Usually on day one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you start designing and it just unleashes all these other ideas and they can't cost too much because you're just adding, you know, another room, for instance, or, you know, full size windows. And, yeah. and, and the problem is if you are not adjusting the budget for every single little item that gets changed you end up with this situation where a one million dollar budget suddenly turns into a, a 1.25 million dollar build and the client will hang on what did you do what did you add you know this you told me you know i told yeah. you it was going to be million dollars but you know for every little change each the, yeah the budget has to change yeah the budget has to change as well it has to be okay well that is now a one million and two and a half thousand dollar budget yes and, and get that verbalized and agreed and then followed up in writing and then the next change gets added onto that as well so we forget the original budget we never talk about the original budget we always talk about the revised budget and the benefit of that is we get to the the end result the presentation and we should be coming in slightly below the, the forecasted, the forecasted budget. budget. And yeah, and there's no shock. The the million dollars is long forgotten because we've never spoken about it. But I think the danger that does happen, and it's not just designers, it happens with builders as well. When they don't do this, all of a sudden in the in the builder's mind, you know, don't talk about the war. Yeah, they're asking yes. all this stuff. Surely they realize it's going to cost more and, and then they present this price. And, and this is where we get this unfortunate situation where the client can't afford to, to build. And then you've got to go through the redesign and take stuff out to try and bring it. And, and it's quite hard, isn't it? To, well, it's a lot harder to, <laughs> to, to make a design hit the budget rather, you know, in retrospectively, yes. you know, rather it's than highly stressful. Mm. It's highly stressful if you, if you're, approaching it so a lot of architects and designers work from tender 
so they create all the drawings and they put them out to tender and then they go oh, now we've got to change them again and the client yeah. pays again as they get changed because they're over budget and what we're and, trying to do we're trying to make the budget hit the design but yeah, yeah and vice versa the, yeah like yeah that, it, it's a game from both sides of mm. how do we how do we get hold of this you know football and how do we get it across the line because without yeah. a score it's not actually we didn't none of us achieved our outcomes yeah but and, a collaborative approach all the way through and um, yeah the builder's not gonna tell anyone how to design anything they're simply gonna be advising on how that budget's gonna be affected by every little change <laughs> i think in my experience something that i've seen a lot of is if a builder approaches us uh, with a project they often undervalue the design input. Now I say that very cautiously. They, yeah, they often undervalue the design input or feel that the charges that we have may be way higher than that they think is applicable. So, you know, many architects work on anything from 15%, maybe some higher, but depending on the on the project of build costs, some architects, designers will work on fixed fees. Some of them will work on sliding scales and it depends what they're bringing to the project. Yeah, and, and you've, hit on a, on a, you've hit on a really big problem there within the construction side, and that is the, the margins are too low. So it's not that you guys are charging too much. It's simply the builders are not charging enough for their professional services. Mm. That's an interesting point. That's a, that is actually it's a good discussion to have. We should do that one separately around just how this melds together. Because I think often we will see from our side that it's just a few lines on paper is what it is, is what the builder may think. And then on the other side of it, we're going, there's a reason for every line we put on the paper. And it's a give and take journey. It's, a, it's got to be, you've got to be open as a designer to give and take as well. And then nurturing out of that, the best outcome for your client being the owner of the property is the key and i've just had this situation like this is real live like in the last week where we started a project not a big project we don't just do big projects we started a project just over 12 months ago designing a home and we had a nominated builder right at the start builder we've dealt with before builder who has got a good reputation and a, a reasonable sized building company and we started this project and when she came to me, she said, look, I only really want to spend about $600,000 on this place. And I said, mm, okay, well, let's look at your wish list. Let's just see how realistic that is. And so we devised a very simple floor plan. It soon went to an extra bedroom and it's a sloping block. So we know that that's going to cost a bit more as well. It's not just a flat block. It's in a subdivision residential subdivision and we went okay she so she's going to put a custom home in a residential subdivision that's probably mainly got project homes in it you know be 80 20 and so we said yeah okay well let's take a look at it let's you know have a bit of a play so we did that and we go for two pre-costs so we knew the builder 
And so we went to the builder and we said to him, where do you think this sits with what we've got drawn currently? We don't have, we're, we're just pencil on paper at that point, but it is scale. And we sat there and we said, okay, so we think this, they said to us, we think this sits around about with everything, with your fencing in, with everything else in around about 660. And we said, okay, so it's over the budget a bit. Is there anything that you can see that we could alter to it? And they said, yep, maybe this, maybe this, you know, gave us a little list of things and we talked through some different scenarios. And we weren't with the client when we were going through that piece. So we went back to the client and said, look, here's some of the builder's suggestions as to what we might save, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And what do you think? And they said, oh, look, I'm happy if it's 660. We'll, we'll go there. And I said, okay, cool. So then we went back and we said to the builder, look, you know, we've altered a few things from your suggestions that the client would never see. You know, they, they aesthetically make no difference to the job. That And we're still in pencil. So those are things that we can massage and shift easily. Mm -hmm. So that should mean that we could probably trim off that little, that, that estimate. Remember, it's not a quote, it's an estimate. Off a little, we're thinking, or at least account for, we've got still, you know, a good few months before this thing gets built. We've got to get through engineering yet and all these things. So, you know, we're probably sitting in a good position. Okay, fine. We then got a second, that was our first pre-cost. We got a second pre-cost at $700,000. And at this point, we'd trimmed and changed and wrote some more on our specifications and given them a bit more information, you know, we'd have more discussions. So I went back to the client and I said, okay, so we're sitting at about 700, they're telling us. And she's like, really, it's gone up? Yeah, it's gone up. And why has it gone up? Well, and she... She was actually in that same meeting. So she, the builder was able to justify where they thought these price rises were. So at that point there, we went to working construction drawings and we went to engineering and we went to pre-certification and also soil testing, you know, all these things, all the other on costs that people don't consider when they have a project budget versus a, a building budget. And those are two very separate things. And so anyway... The outcome of that was, is we got all those things, we bundled them together, we gave them to the builder and the builders, you know, got all our information and nothing's particularly changed. At the 700, sorry, we we did make changes. We re reduced the amount of, of retaining, we reduced and we shifted how the retaining worked. We did things to save money. Because, you know, we were still on an estimate, not necessarily on a fixed outcome. That's not a quote. And we got a quote back of 850000 <laughs> And that happened on Friday. And I think I worked on it all weekend and all Monday and Tuesday as to where are we wrong? Where did this go off the rails? Because it won't be built at 850. It's not yeah. in the right spot to build it for 850. Even if the money's available, it's not where you'd spend that money. Mm -hmm. And what could we be doing to that house that would simplify it, that would make it a, make it right? Would we take it off, put it on a flat block? What could we do? What what are our options? Because my job is, is remember, I didn't do it to draw the pictures. I did it because they wanted a home. Yeah. And where do we go from there? Because it's 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 a blowout 
go and that distresses me that distresses me majorly i don't mm. think the client can believe how many calls we've had what's we've the had more calls. Uh, yeah what was the time frame between the original like the, the very first on one board? and now are oh, around 12 months but that's total time frame the between the first and now sorry the first like when we were at 660 was around about i would say maybe about seven or eight months yeah. somewhere in there because when the builder takes it for the first pre-cost we've got a specification we've got we didn't have any prelim engineering in this case but we've got a specification that you know tells us all the materiality tells us what we we are thinking as designers as the build process you know what we we're thinking of this being a block basement we're thinking of this being you know retaining these pieces you know da 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 da, da. there's all those kind mm. of things put in there but even and, on six months yeah we're looking at 10 percent over six months just on construction costs going up aren't we so that, exactly. that's what you're battling against yeah and then you go so how do we pull it back from there yet this thing won't be built even if we break ground today it won't be finished for probably eight nine months yeah and, and i think the other factor is because of construction inflation alone being 20 percent year on year the last two years obviously in the past year builders have cottoned onto that and are now pricing in future increases into their pricing not just the retrospective ones so it's kind of having a, a double whammy effect so that's actually a really interesting point because that takes us right back to where we were talking about at the start and being a builder being able to foresee the future and price for inflation mm -hmm. to the design community which there's a lot of you that listen how are you doing that i'd love your comments to come back to russ and i i'd love you to comment on the show what are you doing to account for this price inflation and where are you getting your information for it i used to do a process and i still do do it uh, say for instance somebody comes to me russ with a budget of a million dollars i go okay cool let's call that i don't say this to them necessarily i do but I don't. I, it, it's a conversation, but it's not quite as pointed as I'm going to make it now. I take the million dollars and I go, everybody will tell you, and I often do this when I run little seminars and talks and stuff. I will say, everybody in the room, especially if they're the public, put your hand up and tell me how much you think a building project overruns by. And we'll start with percentages. And I'll go, so 10%. And the room will, yeah. I don't know, maybe 80% of the people in the room have their hand up. When I get to about 25%, we've got a few that have still got their hand up. That's probably from an experience. Then I go, who's responsible for that? Where did it come from? So when I look at it, I go, okay, so we've got, let's say budget's a million dollars because I can do the math on, you know, those big round numbers. <laughs> don't make it 700 and something because I can't do the math easily. I take 20% off it and I go, and is that a project budget or a build budget? And I need that established as well. We'll just call it a build budget at this point. Take 20% off it. So now I have to work out my value of my home as an $800,000 build. That's my first point of reference. I'm working towards $800,000 because this project won't be built for a year, even if we've only got a 3% rise in you know gross domestic product we are going to end up with inflation of some kind across the project it might take six months to get from me to you 
as a builder and then from you on. So we start with the end in mind and go, okay, where can we get to? So then when I'm doing that, I go, okay, what's our square meter rates that builders are feeding back to us on projects that are similar that we've done previously? And what were the square meter rates a year ago and what are they now? So I might get on the phone to a builder and I'll say, hey, we've got this project, da 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 da, da. Would you be interested? It would be one question. And the other would be about what would you expect to build that house that you built for us before? These days, what would your square meter rate be on that? And they might go, and we're trying to choose a similar type project. They go, oh, well, it, you know, when we built that, Adrian, it was $2,200 a square meter or thereabouts. And now we're going to tell you that's 3500 And that's the first, you know, sit down on your ass and go, shit, where am I at? <laughs> then we go, it's a simple formula. This is simple math. We take... I, I should have chosen a simpler figure, but I take the 800,000 and divide it by three and a half thousand. And that tells me the number of square meters of house that I can design to. And then we take another formula, which is as we go, okay, the average main bedroom, you know, is somewhere around four by four meters, not including closet, not including ensuite. In this case, if they're asking for bigger than that or smaller than that, what else are they asking for? Oh, should we be at four by five? If we're at four by five, then what's our ensuite square meterage? That's just a list. That's just a list. And they said they want X number of bedrooms. They want X, X, X. Let's just take some, our averages that we've done over the years of those. And we get to the bottom of that figure and we go, that figure shows us that we're building a 400 square meter house. Well, I can tell you now, I don't have to even use the calculator. We're over, over budget. So right at that point then, I'm going, okay, we're going to have trouble achieving this based on square meter rates of today. We haven't even put a pen on paper yet but for drawing. We're just playing with numbers and where those outcomes will be. But now I've got something to go back to the client and say, with the value and the finishes that we're talking about and the pictures you're showing me and the things that I'm talking about, you're really talking about, I didn't do the math, but let's just say it's a $1.5 million budget. Where do you sit with that? And that's really important, isn't it? Because you're setting expectations early from the beginning. If you allow that expectation to come in too low, you're just fighting a rear guard action. And to be fair, the, the builder that then gets involved when the, the budget is too low, they're trying to fight a rear guard action as well because they don't want to be the ones to come in and say, no, that million dollar budget is more like one and a half because they know they're going to get blown out the water straight away and not have a shout. So they, they try and get involved in the conversation and, and, and try to bring it up. And it's, it's just so, so difficult. Difficult. You've dragged them into a battle that's lost before you start fighting. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because of these cost rises, what we're we're seeing more and more is conversations around cost plus. And, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of people mistakenly believe that this is a win-win situation for both the consumer and the builder. But it's, it's exactly the opposite because on a cost plus contract, a builder has no incentive to actually drive down the, the cost of the subcontractors or the materials 
and they're still faced with the challenge of getting through these increased costs through the client who then doesn't understand why this budget has exploded and even though they might be legally on the hook they're not yeah. happy so it still leads to disputes and obviously if, you know from the consumer we believe it's not a good it's not a good contract for a consumer you know for those exact same reasons as well totally agree i totally agree and this is where i go designers need to and architects need to take the responsibility on the way in if they're the first protocol and if builders are the first protocol they need to take the responsibility on the way in to how do we better manage that and when you start lopping 20 percent off a build budget that's a huge chunk of change you're also dealing with somebody's dreams and emotions and where they feel they want to be and I have this thing where I go, well, don't, don't, as the client, don't limit your dreams because if you don't ask now, you'll never get them. Yeah. So you've got to be honest about what you really want. We've got to be honest about trying to get it to you and getting it to you is where, where, where that conversation has to start. And your genius as a designer is, is how you execute getting it to them, but it won't get to them if it doesn't get built. Absolutely. <laughs> So I'm very much, you know, how do we, so one of the things that I've got, I've got to might be mindful of time is I want to ask you, this is, yeah, this, I want to ask you a personal question, which comes from something that I really love to do, which is tell me what is your favorite space in your home and why, and what emotions it brings up? Ah, oh, it's the balcony, without doubt. <laughs> and that's because we moved to Australia for the outdoor living. So I love, I love the outside. So, you know, in England, yeah, we used to live, you know, in quite a large property, had all the benefits, you know, the kids growing up in this, in this large property. But now it's just my wife and I, and we love apartment living, just love the simplicity of apartment living the location that you get with apartment living we've got the beach we've got the restaurants but yeah my favorite space apart from the study of course has to be balcony. has to be the uh, the balcony yeah because just love being outside and uh, whether that's you know an evening sitting out with friends yeah with a few yep. drinks or or soaking up the sunshine during the day it's that's my happy place i love it <laughs> I love it. That's, that is, I love to get into where, the, where the emotion sits in a home and where the value sits. So it's in the hierarchy of values. It wouldn't be the same place without the balcony. Absolutely. Absolutely. Russ, I know we could have talked for another like hour and two hours, three hours, four hours, because there's so much to dig into here. I so appreciate your time and your knowledge and wisdom. I can't wait to meet Sky and get her on the show as well and get a whole nother raft of what we're talking about with this. Thank you for coming on Talk Design today. Ah, oh, thanks so much, Adrian. I've really loved, loved chatting with you. It's been fantastic. Likewise. Cheers, man. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. <laughs> Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. 
if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.